When my cousin was diagnosed, we came out as a family quite quickly and tried to connect work with a lot of people, but that's not typically the case within families. It's keep it quiet, let's figure this out. We don't really want others to find out more about this. We just kind of went, oh boy, schizophrenia, what's that? What does that mean? What is that going to look like now? What do we do? What do we expect? What's going to happen to him? He actually is now diagnosed with schizoaffective, but really he does bipolar. His mania was very evident, but we were not aware of what mania looked like. We just thought he was a real successful and striving and driving individual who really wanted to succeed, right? So he was always on the go and looking for different opportunities and doing two or three things at once. But in hindsight, he was manic at the time and we were not aware of that. My name is Phaedra Aldridge. Welcome to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a podcast about mental illness brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and our BC partner organizations. In many cultures around the world, mental illness is still highly stigmatized and is rarely talked about. We are going to be taking a closer look at how mental illness is viewed and talked about in the South Asian community, one of the largest ethno-cultural groups in Canada. Talking about mental illness, getting help, or even being diagnosed is hindered by generational gaps, language barriers, and perceived taboos, just to name a few. In today's episode, we're going to be hearing from four different voices about their experiences with serious mental illness in the South Asian community. We're also going to be talking to Kulpreet Singh, founder of the South Asian Mental Health Alliance in BC. Since founding the Alliance in 2010, Colpreet has been partnering with local organizations and service providers to raise awareness, reduce stigma, and engage younger generations of South Asian Canadians to help change the conversation around serious mental illnesses like schizophrenia. This is going to be an honest talk about how culture can play a role in how mental illnesses are both seen and treated within the South Asian community. Colpreet, thanks for joining us today and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. As a second generation individual, your parents immigrated to Canada. Why did you decide to start this nonprofit organization? When I was 25 years old, I was diagnosed with ADHD and the process of reaching that step was a lot of hardships that I went through my end of high school years and first few years of college. The struggles that I went through involved depression, anxiety, isolation, confusion, a lack of focus, and an inability to navigate those things and understand why I was having certain symptoms when it came to studying and memory recall and attention and following through on certain deadlines. And when I started to have my own business, I noticed a lot of obstacles as well. At that point, there were some people in my family who were familiar with therapy, psychology, counseling. And through them, I learned about a psychiatrist who was also from a South Asian background. And that conversation allowed me to understand some of the reasons why I was having those struggles. And it was very self-affirming and it allowed me to plan a direction for my self-care and for my well-being. But I was also referred to another psychiatrist who 
had the complete opposite reaction. And the other psychiatrist was also from the South Asian community, but he basically used stereotypes of how an ADHD diagnosed individual should behave. So for example, he would say that you seem to be quite intelligent, you seem to be quite well-spoken, you seem to be grounded, so you can't have ADHD, which is in no means any of the diagnostic criteria for ADHD. So I was just kind of shocked by that. And I thought I am fluent in English. I can navigate the system to the best of my abilities. I was born and raised here. But for those people who don't have those privileges, what do they do and where do they go and how do they navigate all of this? So that's kind of what prompted me to start this nonprofit. Kulpreet, that is so interesting. So now I'd like to take a moment to listen to this family member describe her experience of trying to convince her own parents to get her brother help for his mental illness. My brother, we all knew that he had some sort of substance abuse issue or problem, but there were these manic episodes that none of us really understood what it was. And then in about 2020, it was a lot more often and a lot more violent. And it was a lot of brushing under the rug. And then the next day, he was a lot more calmer. And then it was like, okay, let's try to pretend almost like that didn't just happen. And then it went on like that for a really long time until things just got really out of hand. And then his violence escalated a lot. And the things that he was saying were really concerning. And I spent so long trying to convince my family that this is more than just substance abuse. This is also his mental health. And I don't know what it was. And maybe it's like their lack of education or the lack of conversations they've ever had about mental health. But my mom was just like, no, we just got to pray really hard. And I was like, you can't pray mental health away. He needs external help. And it's more than what we can handle. Praying isn't what's going to fix this. He needs like some sort of medical intervention. And I was really trying to educate them on how we could get him arrested under the Mental Health Act and that he could go to the psych ward because he was never going to go by himself. It took one police officer who pulled over my brother you can tell by the conversation something's not right and instead of arresting him he called my dad and said you can come pick up your son and that officer he was south asian and he was around the age of my brother and he took my dad aside and talked about what getting arrested under the mental health act looks like and that he could really get a lot of help and it wasn't until that officer reinforced the things I was saying about what it's like to get arrested under the Mental Health Act that my dad was willing then to call 911. It took us calling multiple times, getting him arrested under the Mental Health Act, for him to be admitted for two weeks. And then in those two weeks, he got the help that he needed. And that's when my brother really came to and realized things really did get out of hand there. I'm not okay and then started willingly accepting the help. So it really did take external measures to be able to get him and get my family to see that he needs more help. So now let's talk about stigma. As we all know, 
Stigma tends to be synonymous with serious mental illness. And just as we've heard, there is a particular problem with acknowledging mental health issues within South Asian families. Kulpreet, I'd love to hear your thoughts on why you think this is. There are a lot of factors at play when we look at our previous generations. When they immigrate to Canada, they're trying to get settled. And so in the process of settlement, they're trying to establish their family. They're trying to get to work. They're trying to get housing. They're trying to create stability for their kids. And they live in an environment where they're around individuals that they're trying to establish positive social connections with. And so in trying to establish positive social connections, reputation becomes an issue where you're trying to maintain the reputation of your family and you're trying to ensure that your family has a good social standing, your family has a good reputation within the community and that you can ensure a positive future for your kids. And so a lot of times there is a fear that with having a mental illness diagnosis for someone in the family, that that could have negative connotations for the well-being of your child, for the future of your child, for future career or marriage prospects. In general, I think this fear also intersects with a lack of awareness about how many supports are available out there and what services are available out there that can remedy the situation or at least alleviate some of the problems. Thanks for that, Kalpreet. Now let's take a listen to this. It was just so many years of brushing it under the rug. Every time I would talk to my dad about getting him arrested under the mental health act, the first thing my dad would say is, what are other people going to think? What are our neighbors going to think? My neighbors know who I am. And he was so focused on what will he say to the neighbors and what about other people? What if they find out? And we had to really have that conversation about who cares what the neighbors think? Your son needs help. I think there's so much cultural shame around mental health and feeling like you almost failed your child or you didn't do a good job raising your child. Just you did something wrong that you're responsible for, something that you really don't really have control over. And I could see that because of that cultural sensitivities, the fear, the stigma that's attached, this would also play a huge role in people receiving treatment within the South Asian community. Yeah, absolutely. There are sometimes mistrust of the system or mistrust of healthcare providers or healthcare system at large. And that could also come from intergenerational mistrust of systems in the homeland, right? So when we come to Canada and we see that there are services, but there can be uh, mistrust there. The second factor can be, of course, just the simple factor of the language barriers. A lot of nonprofit societies across Canada throughout many generations have chosen to provide services, webinars, workshops, brochures in English only. And that is a continuing trend. And then there's also a disparity between language literacy and language fluency. 
it would be helpful to any, for example, advocates or activists or volunteers or service providers who are listening to us today to understand that just because someone speaks a language doesn't mean they read the language. A lot of people don't have fluency in their own mother tongue, in their own native language, in terms of reading. Uh, the literacy levels may not be there, but the fluency in terms of listening would be. So mediums like this, like podcasts in other languages, can be actually more helpful than simply giving someone a brochure. That's a really good point, because if you look at literacy rates, and then you combine that with the complexity of using scientific terms that we all need, that would make it extremely difficult, especially for somebody who does not speak English as their first language. Yeah, exactly. And I think that if we look at education systems in other countries, what usually happens is we have a national language, we have a, an official language, and then we have state languages. So in India, like I mentioned, there are so many different state languages, but the national languages are Hindi and English. So even in Punjab, it's reinforced over and over for the children to learn Hindi and English. In Pakistan, it's reinforced for children to learn Urdu and English. But those students who are who speak Kashmiri or Bangladeshi or Pashto, Tamil, these different languages, they may not be learning them in the school system. And so when we come to Canada, our parents come, our grandparents come, and very well-intentioned health advocates, health providers, they ask, what is your mother tongue? What is your native language? And somebody answers that it's Farsi, it's Arabic. That's true. It is their mother tongue, but they can't read it. They just can speak it. So it's up to us to look at those nuances and see when we're doing health promotion, when we're doing health outreach, is that health outreach actually accessible to the people? Yeah, you bring up a really good point about language and making healthcare and outreach more accessible. When we think about schizoaffective disorder, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, all of these terms are using the framework, the paradigm of Western thought. And so if you look at Eastern thought, if you think about Eastern framework, you might be able to dig deep and think, okay, in Punjabi, for example, mental would be mansik, and mansik means relating to the mind. We use different terminologies, and where that term doesn't exist, then we would just have to use the term schizophrenia. If a nurse came up to my mom and explained to her in her language and just just explain the positive things around treatment and that you're in a good place, this is going to help, and it would have really made things a lot better, easier to accept. But when you're hearing it from somebody that you're not really understanding these technical words about mental illness and the antipsychotic drugs, all those words are scary words when you don't know, especially in a different language. Now, within the South Asian community, there are many terms for mental illness. Here are just a few of the more common ones. In Punjabi, we say pagal, that means crazy. It's a catchphrase for crazy. Anything referring to mental health, the first thing I either hear is pagal or depression. Those are the two words that I find are really common when describing mental health. And then the other word is called lokiki kehengi, which is a big thing in our community. What will others think? 
what are others going to say? So we're all concerned about what within the community, we're all concerned about what others are going to think. So Loki Kikange is holding a lot of people back. I know I would love to get my loved ones some help, but what are other people going to say about this if they find out? The entire idea of mental illness is fused into this one notion. That unfortunately translates into this idea of quote-unquote madness, right? And then it is given, there are multiple ways of like talking about it, there are multiple names given to it, but unfortunately all of them have a negative connotation. It will always have negative connotations that would translate into madness and not mental illness, right? That's where the gap lies. There isn't enough words in which we can express our older generations or even our, we can express ourselves. And I know we touched on this earlier, but I'd like to, to dive in a little bit deeper. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the role that you feel, based on your experience, that culture plays in people both receiving help and getting help within the mental health system. I think that culture is a double-edged sword. So there are positives and negatives. So some of the stereotypical components that we look at, for example, multi-generational families, there can be positives to that. You have multi-generational family support. You have mentorship from your elders. You have moral support from your cousins and from your siblings. You have individuals in the house who can physically check on you for your safety. On the flip side, you have a lack of privacy. You might have a lack of autonomy. Your information may not be as protected as you want it to be. So it's definitely double-edged sword over there. When it comes to language, you have barriers. You're not able to explain yourself properly within the system. But at the same time, you have two unique ways of expressing yourself. You're attached to your heritage, and then you're also attached to the Canadian culture. So you're able to explain your mind's feelings and emotions and your mental health diagnosis, not only in English, but also in your mother tongue. So there's definitely a double-edged sword on that front as well. And it goes into a lot of these different components when it comes to, for example, protecting your family's reputation. That can definitely be a negative. It can be a contributor to higher stigma because you go to such high lengths to make sure that your family's reputation is protected, that you will harm your own health for that reason or you will put your health at a disadvantage for that reason. But at the same time, that family bonding and that family loyalty can create a support system, which a lot of times people don't have. So it's important to pick and choose and discriminate between what are the negative features of different cultural norms and traditions, and what are the positives. And try to pick the positives of those traditions and highlight those and try to enshrine those into our lives. And then the ones that don't serve us, sometimes we do want to hold on to our traditions, but if a tradition is toxic, then it's important to let it go, whether it's a Western tradition or an Eastern tradition. You're listening to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined. 
a podcast brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and BC Partner Organizations. I'm your host, Phaedra Aldridge. This podcast would not be possible without the support of the community. From the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you for caring about serious mental illness and everything that's around it. Together, we truly can make a difference. Welcome back to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined. We're talking to Kalpreet Singh from the South Asian Mental Health Alliance about the role that culture plays in serious mental illnesses like schizophrenia. So speaking of your organization, in 2019, your organization received just over $100,000 from the provincial government to fight stigma around mental health. Now, part of the strategy was to train 100 youth ambassadors, which I think is a fantastic idea. So tell us more about this project. Yeah, absolutely. We had actually started the Youth Ambassador Program in 2014 in understanding different mental illnesses and being able to teach that to the community, understanding the drug toxicity crisis, understanding the diagnosis of different mental health concerns and challenges, and then also being able to cross-reference that with Eastern language, South Asian languages, South Asian cultural approaches to mental health, and then going out into the community and conducting workshops. So our initial goal was to train 100 youth. I think we're at about 60 now. We want to just make this a standardized program within British Columbia. And there were some mental health professionals in Calgary who took inspiration from this program. And so they partnered with the Calgary Medical Association and the city of Calgary. We also supported their initiative and they replicated this program and now it's expanded to Calgary. So we're hoping in this way, city by city, province by province, country by country, we can replicate this program and be able to build capacity among the youth. Wow, well done. And especially the fact that you're expanding as well. Why did your organization choose to focus on those youth ambassadors? That's a great question. When we first started doing advocacy work and we hosted our first South Asian mental health community conference, we noticed that there were a lot of young people who were bringing their parents or bringing their grandparents to these events. So one example, someone had brought their mom who was diagnosed with psychosis. She didn't want to see a doctor again after the first diagnosis. And her mom just brought her to the conference to socialize and to look at the exhibitors and to have lunch. We had a lot of different demographics in terms of age so people could socialize with each other and when this individual came to the event and after they attended the workshops then they informed us that their mom had decided to go for treatment and to look for help so those open conversations are what reduced the stigma for that individual and what has been the deciding factor for a lot of people throughout the years of doing this work. Generation after generation, you never talked about it. And it was something that your grandma do some little ceremony and there you go. (laughs) And then you would be healed and there's no such thing. And so that's why I think if the conversation 
happens more at home and openly and because the generations are changing all the time and so that old tradition and values are also changing too so i think if the two can support each other and educate each other there's a better understanding and less fear I think that what we see in multi-generational homes is there is a link between grandparents and grandkids and grandkids can sometimes inspire and spark some of those conversations but it's also important for grandkids to understand how to do those in a language specific way when we provide the younger generation with education on mental health but then we also provide them with that education in the context of their own language it builds those bridges between generations and it allows for a spark in conversations and curiosity for those young people to go back home and to talk to their parents and their grandparents and actually use the i won't say excuse but I'll say use the inspiration and the curiosity around language to spark that conversation. So mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, what does this word mean in our language or how do you say this word in our language? Oh, let me think about it. Why are you asking? Oh, well I took this course and I went to this workshop and I'm learning about this and the conversation starts from there. That was our motivation to have that dialogue because we've seen um throughout the years that these type of conversations are the ones that break the stigma. So what change if any have you seen within the South Asian community in terms of stigma and how serious mental illness is being viewed? Over the last 10 or 11 years that we've been doing this work there's been a great change in terms of the conversation. When it comes to social media there are a lot more conversations among the second generation south asian youth on mental health uh, around stigma reduction around system navigation around capacity building i've seen new initiatives get started in seattle and los angeles and texas and toronto and i've personally had the opportunity to do workshops in fresno california los angeles calgary and to meet individuals from the east but beyond that what i've started to notice on the south asian language radio stations among our parents and grandparents generation is more conversations so it has definitely opened up the dialogue that's great i'd really like to get your thoughts on what you think has to happen within the south asian community when it comes to acknowledging and treating serious mental illnesses like schizophrenia. I think that these conversations need to happen in our community gathering places on a more frequent basis. So when it comes to our cultural centers, whether it's dance classes or music classes, when it comes to our reception and party halls, when it comes to our places of worship, when everyone is seated there and they are having discussions these discussions need to become normalized and if these discussions become normalized then also seeking help will be normal and seeking help will be less stigmatized and i think that this process is around the corner we have seen over many generations how different topics were stigmatized and over time it became less and less stigmatized and people became more and more open to it on the same wavelength i think that 
individuals from the community need to recognize that patients also need to be advocates for themselves. And sometimes you will face obstacles. Sometimes you will face hardships and you will struggle with finding the right way. But please don't give up and please advocate for yourself. And if you see any challenges in the system, if you see any gaps in the system, speak up for yourself and speak up for your right to have access to equitable and safe and culturally relevant and language specific healthcare, which includes mental health care. Thank you. Thank you, Culpreet. Thank you for doing your part to increase all of our awareness about serious mental illness. So thank you so much for all the work that you do and for speaking with me today. Thank you. I'm honored to do this work and I really appreciate you having me here today. And a huge thank you to you, our audience. Together, we can change the narrative around mental illnesses like schizophrenia and the many myths and the many stereotypes that still exist today. We have to keep talking about these issues. If you have any questions or any comments at all, tweet us at BC Schizophrenia. And to get our latest episodes, be sure to hit follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Talk to you soon. This podcast is brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and the BC Partners for Mental Health and Substance Use Information. We're a group of nonprofit agencies providing good quality information to help individuals and families maintain or improve their mental well being. The BC Partners members are Anxiety Canada, BC Schizophrenia Society, Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, Canadian Mental Health Association's BC Division, Family Smart, Jesse's Legacy, the North Shore Family Services Program, and Mood Disorders Association of BC, a branch of Lookout Housing and Health Society. The BC Partners are funded and stewarded by BC Mental Health and Substance Use Services, an agency of the Provincial Health Services Authority. For more information, visit heretohelp.bc.ca. 